What's up, everybody? Man, I hope you guys are doing well. But before we continue with the next seal that Jesus opens, I would like to reiterate a few things. Jesus kicks off the tribulation period with unleashing the four horsemen, and they symbolize the Antichrist and the things that come about as a result to the rise of the Antichrist, as well as they help create an environment that makes the world more willing to accept him as the, as the leader because people are going to want someone who can restore order out of the chaos. People will be willing to forego their freedoms and submit to the to his leadership and ultimately his rule because he promises to bring order and end the chaos, so to speak, uh, at least initially. And, and when people are desperate, afraid, and without hope, and just under a lot of stress and burden, they will submit to someone who can bring them some sort of stability and order. So also, I would like to say that some of the judgments that are poured out are specific are specific events that take place at specific points in the tribulation period. But these four horsemen represent an overarching judgment that will be spread out throughout the tribulation period and will come in waves, so to speak. Now, today, we are going to take a look at the opening of the fifth and sixth seal on the scroll. Now, that will leave us only one seal left open, but we'll come back to that one um, down the road as there are some other things that are going to come up before that seventh seal. So, we're going to dig into the fifth and sixth seal today, and we see the souls of the saints martyred for their faith, crying out to God for justice. We will also see a picture of a world... Uh, of worldwide natural disasters like never before. And it will rock the planet to the point that all people, regardless of money or status, will hide and take refuge from the natural disasters. And, and here you see a glimpse of what God is doing as the people cry out to be hidden from the face of God and the wrath of the Lamb. They openly admit who it is that is judging them. You know, Let's get into some more details on the opening of these two seals. In verse 9 of chapter 6, we read, When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. Okay, they called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer until the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters, uh, were killed just as they had been. So, with the opening of this fifth seal, there is a break in the pattern from the first four seals. Here, John sees uh, those who have been martyred for their faith in Jesus. You know, they overcome and refuse to deny Christ. They they kept the faith even unto death, just like the church of Smyrna. Remember, this is a vision that John is having. Therefore, what he is seeing is imagery that is meant to convey a message and an understanding of what is to come. He has shown things in a manner that he can handle with the imagery that is conveyed in a way that would have made sense to him as a Jew. So, that being said, John sees those who have been martyred for their faith since the resurrection of Jesus to the present. There is much debate about what, is, what it means by under the altar, but I will avoid that rabbit hole 
because what matters most is the importance of these souls in relation to the altar of God. It signifies that these saints gave up their lives as a sacrifice to God. They were obedient even unto death, and God shows John an image that he would understand that that these martyred souls gave up their life as a sacrifice offering, basically. Okay, so their blood was spilled and poured out, you know, for their faith. And that, in turn, um, was was like a sacrifice offering. So, undoubtedly, these martyrs, these martyred saints are special to God and will be rewarded as promised to those who are victorious. They will also be given the right to reign with Christ in his kingdom. It goes on to say that, they cried out, asking God, "How long before He avenges, uh, before He avenges them, you know, and judges the world responsible for their blood being shed?" They were asking God for justice to be served. This is similar to what happened with Cain and Abel, you know. In Genesis four ten says, "The voice of your brother," God is saying this to to Cain, "The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground." And God tells Cain that the blood of Abel cries out to him from the ground. To me, it implies that Abel's blood, his spirit, so to speak, his blood is crying out to God for justice. Much like these martyred saints or the, the blood of these saints cries out for justice. But God tells them to wait a little longer because there are more of their fellow servants and brothers and sisters in Christ that God is waiting that will also go through the same thing they went through and they'll be martyred for the faith. And God's waiting for this full number. He has an exact number, it seems like, and he's waiting for that full number to to come in. And so it is often hard, you know, to wait on God. When someone wrongs us, we want God to be our vindicator and get justice for us. That is no different for these saints. Even in death, they cry out for justice. But God tells them to wait. Like he does with us, his plan is perfect, and we have to trust in it, as do these saints. God cannot pour out his wrath early because it would alter his perfect plan, and he has a reason for waiting for a precise number of saints to be killed for their faith. There's a reason why he needs that number and why he's allowing them to serve as a sacrifice you know, before God. I don't fully understand it, and that's okay. What I do know is that God is precise and orderly and his plan is perfect. And sometimes he tells us to wait and we have to trust his plan and know that his plan, his will will be done and we will be blessed for it. Also, you see that God gives them each a white robe, which we know symbolizes their righteous deeds and that they are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. I also, uh, you know, so you know, they're believers. I also like the imagery of them being under the altar because Jesus was the perfect sacrifice whose blood was poured out on the altar before God. And being under it would indicate that they were under the covering of the perfect sacrifice. They were under the covering of the blood of Jesus. With the next seal now, we jump back into the pattern of the first four seals depicting more devastation and judgment uh, from God. So the fifth seal seems out of place a little like it doesn't belong in the lineup, so to speak, because it doesn't speak of any real judgment. But what I see is that in the middle of God's judgment, he brings our focus back to the altar. You know, 
back, you know, when I talk about the altar, I mean, that's where the blood of Christ was poured out, you know, for us, so to speak. And so he brings our focus back to the altar, encourages us to stand firm in our faith and be victorious like these saints and to trust in his plan. You know, even if he tells us to wait, to trust in it. It sounds like God knew exactly what he was doing with putting this seal in the lineup right where he did. You know, that being said, if these martyr saints are um, prior to the tribulation, then it is possible that opening this seal ushers in the period in the tribulation uh, that the believers begin to be martyred for their faith. You know, again, this is referring to the tribulation saints or those who come to Christ during the tribulation period after the church has been raptured. So now we see Jesus open the sixth sixth seal and we see the obvious, the obvious judgment of God back on full display. Here we you know we see that things are getting more intense and the judgments more severe. Verses 12 through 14. I watched as he opened the sixth seal. There you know, was a great earthquake. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair. The whole moon turned blood red. And the stars in the sky fell to the earth. And figs dropped from a fig tree um, like they had been shaken by a strong wind. So just going to pause there. It says that the stars in the sky fell to the earth as, as or like you know, figs dropping from a tree that's being shaking, shaken. You know, then it says the heavens receded like a scroll being rolled up and every mountain and island was removed from its place. So remember, John is using descriptions that make sense to him in, in describing what he sees. This seal, in a nutshell, unleashes every type of natural disaster you can think of. Great earthquakes, volcano eruptions on a giant scale that will black out the sky you know, meteors hitting the earth and raining down like a like a, a meteor shower, basically. So that's where you get the whole, you know, figs falling from a tree like someone's shaking it. And the meteors are just going to be raining down. You know, there will likely be hurricanes and tornadoes and all kinds of things. You know, with massive earthquakes, uh, you know, that will shake the earth to a point where it will it will possibly shift the mountains from, you know, its position, you know, or even make them crumble or, you know, islands. It could potentially shift, you know, the islands from, from their current location. I'm not saying like all the way around the world, but it could move them and shift them just by the earthquakes uh, and such. So you can just see that the point he's trying to make is that the natural disasters will be on an epic level like nothing ever seen before now look what happens next verse 15 through 17 then the kings of the earth the princes the generals the rich the mighty and everyone else both slave and free hid in caves and among the rocks of the mountains they called to them to the mountains and the rocks fall on us hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb for the great day of their wrath has come and who can withstand it who can withstand it this list of people is just his way of saying that nobody, regardless of position or status or money or anything else, will escape it. They will all hide in fear of God's judgment and try to find refuge. It shows that they are desperate to hide from the judgment of God and from the wrath of the Lamb. 
as if they could. You know, what I like here, though, is that they admit when the judgment of God and the wrath of the Lamb, of the Lamb comes, they admit it. And they say, who can, who can stand against it? This shows that God got them to take notice. And they, even in their rebellion, concede that God and Jesus are in charge and no one can stand against them. You know, it's like this. In the end, not everyone will believe, but everyone will concede that Jesus is Lord over all. A lot of these people will not accept Jesus despite admitting that he is responsible and he is in control and he is the one pouring out the judgment on them, you know, and that no one can stand against him. Despite all of that, some of them, will, a lot of them will still not believe. You know, side note, with all these judgments, you will see that God uses natural means to do supernatural things. Now, when God wants to get your attention, he can and will do it, as you see here. God got their attention, and he'll get your attention. You know, God is, is getting their attention, trying to get them to turn to him because before things get worse, you know, because they're going to get worse. And he's trying to get them to take notice and pay attention before it gets worse. But, you know, does God do that in your life? Does he not try to get your attention before things get worse? What is that? That is grace and mercy. It may not seem like it at first, but when we don't listen to the softer warnings, God will take it to whatever level he needs to in order to get you to pay attention and listen. That, my friends, is mercy and grace in the midst of judgment. God never issues out judgment without extending mercy and grace as well. God, thank you for your mercy and for your grace and just how abundant they are. Thank you, Jesus, for extending that mercy and grace in the greatest act of love ever displayed. And in, the, and in that moment, you allowed us to be under the covering of your blood. What you did on the cross for us, that act of love and mercy and grace, allowed us the opportunity to be, to be covered by your blood. You have set aside you know, crowns and white robes for us. You have made us righteous before God. I'm grateful, Lord, that we as believers will be spared from the hour of judgment during the great tribulation. And I'm grateful that we will be in your presence, sitting at your table. I pray for all those who will go through that time, though, that, that you will give them the strength and the courage to endure and be victorious in their faith. Help us, Jesus, to grow in our faith and to, become a, and to become a little more like you each day. We are a screwed up people and just a messed up people, but we are your people. So help us to point others to Jesus even when we mess up. Let our lives bear witness to your mercy and grace and let our testimony speak of your love and the power of the cross. Amen.